All right, the Gospel of John this morning, the eighth chapter, the eighth chapter of the book of John. And we will continue, of course, with our exposition here, but also be dealing with uh, sort of a topic today. But we will be following, of course, the exposition as well. But in John chapter number 8, you'll go with me to the verse number 23. John 8, verse number 23, and we will begin there. I know it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in John, as we had a two-part message last week from the book of Romans. Verse 23, Jesus speaking here to the Jews, And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. Would you mark the expression of verse number 31? And we didn't read that, but would you go down to verse number 31 with me and notice this verse. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. The subject for this morning, again, as long as, as far as a topical thought today, is simply temporary faith. Temporary faith. It is fair to say that many people have a profession of faith of some sort at some point in their lives. A profession of faith is to profess that you believe or trust in something. Professions of faith can be made in companies, it can be made in organizations, it can be made even in our children, it can be made in our spouses, believe it or not. We, we agree or profess to be faithful. But what is temporary faith with regard to spiritual things? Is it possible for a faith to be temporary? The Lord Jesus throughout the word uses professions of faith. He speaks of times when man professes to know him. The question we want to ask ourselves this morning is, is every profession of faith saving? Or is it possible that a profession of faith can be temporary? A temporary faith might also be described as an emotional, in-the-moment belief. Temporary faith, a emotional, in-the-moment faith. In other words, we may be, again, pardon the crude illustration if it is, we may be walking across a bridge, across a deep ravine or a valley. What gets us to step out onto that bridge and walk across? It is temporary faith. You are trusting that that bridge, number one, is secure, that that bridge will hold you, that the craftsmanship of the people who constructed that, it is faith. But when it comes to spiritual things, what would temporary faith look like? How could you identify temporary faith? Can an individual who at one time in their life made a profession of faith to believe on Christ, at some point can they later fall away? 
Well, of course, as we do with everything, the Word of God has the answer to that. The Word of God throughout the Scriptures actually provide warnings of temporary faith. It is possible to have a faith that is not saving. I want you to hold your place there in John. I want you to go with me to the book of Luke this morning. Luke chapter number 8. We're looking at a lot of text today, but I want us to get the proper context here. Luke chapter number 8, begin in verse number 4. And again, this will be just a little lengthy, but I want you to see again this text, and I want you to see the differences. Luke chapter number 8, verse number 4. The Bible says, And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground, and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they, which when they had heard, have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection." But that on the good ground are they, which is an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Jesus, as he taught in this parable in the book of Luke, Jesus, as the more he was rejected, let's understand just for a moment the reason for the parables. The reason for the parables was in response to Jesus's messages being rejected. And so what Jesus began to do when he began to teach in parables, there's a misnomer out there that says Jesus preached in parables to give people a better understanding. Actually, the reverse is true. The parables were given as a way, as a way to veil his teaching. Now, again, this sounds to the logic, it sounds backwards. But people, he begins to mention to those that have, hear, those have ears to hear will hear. Those that have eyes to see will see. Don't think of the parables as Jesus trying to make it a better way or make it more understandable. It is the truth. It is more of Jesus' teaching now becomes more veiled. He begins to use an illustration of the seed. He declares the seed as the word of God. He gives various environments into which this seed fell upon. He mentions uh, seed that fell on rock. He mentions seed that fell among thorns. He mentions seed that fell on the good ground. And he gives uh, examples of seed that fell where it did not take root. And he uses expressions like they believed for a while, verse number 13, 
but in the time of temptation fell away. It was the word of God. There was belief. Verse 14, he said that fell among thorns. They heard, they went forth, but then they were choked with the cares and the riches and pleasures of this life, and it brought forth no fruit. But verse 15 says that they did fall on some good ground. And that good ground, an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it. Now, that phrase, keep it, makes sense now when we look back to what Jesus was saying in John chapter number 8 in verse 31 when he says, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. The word of God, as we get these clear pictures of temporary faith, or we get these pictures of what belief is, we understand that to sow the word of God is an illustration or a demonstration of the word as it goes forth. There are some that as they hear the word of God will not understand it. There are some that as they hear the word of God, it will be embraced. There are some that as the word of God is given, they have been given over to spiritual blindness. Jesus is actually using these parables not necessarily to open eyes more, but to conceal the truth. Now again, our logic says, why would Jesus hide the truth? Remember, it was in a response to the rejection of Jesus. Jesus, in that text, gave three reasons why the preached word remains ineffective in hearts. So that many who hear it, he gives us the illustration, that the influence of the devil prevents faith. The persistent hardness of the heart, despite an outward appearance of conversion. And the love of this world. Three things that could prevent saving faith. The influence of the devil, the persistent hardness of the heart, and the love of this world. Three things that could prevent saving faith. Temporary faith is a scary thing. Temporary faith is a faith that is not lasting. It is a faith one day, but a faith you will not hold on to the next but what is Jesus saying in our text back in John chapter number 8? He's dealing with the Jews. And remember, he has been dealing with them regarding many subjects. Chapter number 8 began with Jesus showing mercy to the woman who'd been caught in adultery. We all remember that. He answered the Pharisees' attacks with the defense of his authority. He declared the divine statement with his authority, I am. There was a refusal to acknowledge Jesus Christ as who he was, and his claims. When we think about the difference between temporary faith and saving faith, the first thing I want us to consider this morning is very simply this. Saving faith is to believe the claims of Christ. Saving faith is to believe the claims of Christ. Jesus, as he speaks in John 8, verse 23, he gives these Jews two kingdoms. He explains an earthly kingdom, and he explains that earthly kingdom as being a sinful kingdom. And he contrasts it with a heavenly and a holy kingdom. Verse 23, notice he says that he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. Jesus clearly defines that there are two kingdoms that are coexisting in the world today. There is the kingdom of Christ, which is holy, which is heavenly. And then there is the kingdom of Satan, 
or the kingdom of sin, earthly and sinful. So here's what happens. Even though believers are living in this world, there are two kingdoms that are at work, Christ's kingdom and this kingdom. And just because believers are in the same world with this evil kingdom does not mean that we belong to that world. In other words, we are to be separate from the world. We are to be separate from the earthly kingdom because we are in Christ's kingdom. But here's the problem. We live in the same world. We live among the earthly kingdom. Jesus says to these Pharisees, you are of the earthly sinful kingdom. I am from the heavenly, holy, pure kingdom. He says, you are from beneath. I am from above. And he says, because of that, verse 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. Now, why is he telling them they will die in their sins? Because they are in the kingdom, the earthly kingdom of sin. Very direct, very pointed. What is it to be in the earthly kingdom of sin? It is to be without faith in Christ. What an awful thing to die in your sins. That ought to ring every one of us today. It ought to ring our hearts to say that is not something we would ever say with any arrogance, with any pride, but we would say it with compassion and with humility. We would never want to have to say to somebody, you shall die in your sins. But that's what Jesus is saying. This is not our word. This is not my message. This is Christ speaking his own word. He says, as the most loving and tender, compassionate Savior, he says, if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. He makes it very clear. You are either of this kingdom or you are of Christ's kingdom. He says very simply, if you do not believe that I'm he, ye shall die in your sins. What does it mean to believe he is he? Was he telling them just to believe that I'm standing before you? No, he was asking them and telling them, you must believe in my claims. Jesus had already claimed to be God. He had already claimed to be the Son of God. And you'll notice that their response in verse number 25 shows you that they could not say, I believe the claims that you make. Verse 25, then said they unto him, who art thou? To not know Christ is to not be in his kingdom. To not know Christ is to not believe the claims of Christ. Now, why did they say this? Why did the Jews say this? Was it because they doubted? Was they, did they say it because uh, they were frustrated? Simply, they said, who are you? Jesus had not veiled himself. He had made himself very public. He had appeared before many men. He had preached and he had taught and he had sat with them. There was no reason for them to still say, who are you? He had already identified who he was. How did Jesus respond to their question? He said, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. Jesus did not try to explain it a different way. He did not try to change the message. He says, I am exactly who I said I was from the very beginning of my earthly ministry. All the way back in John 1, verses 1 and 2, Jesus had said, I am. I am the same. I'm no other. I, I am the very person I have claimed who I have said to be. Yet you will die in your sins because you don't believe my claims. 
He goes on further and says in verse 26, he says, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. Now the Lord had used similar phrases with his own disciples. In John 16, 12, he had used the phrase, I have many things to say unto you, and you'll recall, and I'm paraphrasing, but he told them you couldn't bear them now. Remember, he said, I have many things to say, but you couldn't bear them. He spoke the word to the disciples as, he was, as they were able to hear it. In other words, Jesus spoke the words to the, his, his people as they were able to bear it, to understand it, to be able to comprehend the truth. He tells the Pharisees, now, this is, this is so pointed. He tells the Pharisees, I have many things to say to you, but those things will judge you and they will condemn you. In other words, if I tell you what is true, if I tell you what the case is, my words will not be saving words to you, but on the flip side, they will actually be judging and condemning words. And look what it says in verse 27. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Now, folks, this reveals the complete depravity of even the most religious of people. Here are the Jews who claim to know God, but Jesus says, you don't understand this because you don't understand my Father. To understand Christ and his claims is to understand the Father. If I don't understand God the Father, I will not understand God the Son. If I try to look at one without the other, they will not make sense. To believe the claims of Christ is to believe that he is who he said he is, the one sent of the Father. 100% God, 100% man. He is the God-man. He is the Son of Man. He is God. Remember, the Pharisees refused to acknowledge that Jesus Christ was anything but the Messiah. There is no way he was the Messiah, according to them. But Jesus says, he that sent me, notice again, he that sent me, in verse 26, is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. Jesus says, my entire message has been this, the message of the Father. And what I say is true. What I preach is true. They understood not. The Lord himself is speaking about eternal spiritual things, and they understand not. They didn't understand that he spoke to them as the one sent to the Father. They didn't understand that he spoke to them that as one that has been with the Father. As a matter of fact, back in John 8, verse number 19, Jesus had already dealt with this before. He said, where is thy father? Jesus answered, ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. Now, some might say here, if we misunderstand the parables, which is why I took you to the book of Luke, some would say, why didn't Jesus just speak a parable and make himself more understandable? Because the reason of the parables was not for understanding. The Pharisees would not have understood the parable any more than what he said because Jesus had been direct, he had been clear, he had, he had already given all that needed to be known. Today, anyone sitting here today has already heard enough to 100% repent of, the, of your sin, believe on Jesus Christ, and believe his claims. Nearly two hours you have heard Jesus proclaimed as who he is. 
There is enough saving faith that has been poured out today that a man who is here unsaved today or a woman that is unsaved or a child that is unsaved, whatever the case would be, could walk out of here today and say, I do not have temporary faith. I have saving faith in Christ. There is nothing else I could say that would make faith in Christ more clear. The reality is, is Jesus Some have labeled Jesus as being uncompassionate because he did not take the time to explain to the Pharisees what he was talking about. Jesus had repeatedly claimed over and over and over again who he was, why he came, who he was sent of. But now their own blindness, their own rejection, their own refusal, now they're not even seeing the truth anymore. They're not able to even recognize that Jesus is who he said he is. Temporary faith sees Jesus as a means of escaping a present trial. Okay, temporary faith sees Jesus as a means of escaping a temporary trial. That's not saving faith. There have been many what we'll call foxhole conversions. Foxhole conversions are those conversions in which a man says, Jesus, if you get me out of this mess, I'll serve you with all of my life. That is not saving faith. You say, what if that man is delivered from that foxhole? Won't he automatically turn to God and won't he automatically serve God? Odds are he probably will not if it was just a faith to deliver him from the circumstances. Temporary faith is a faith that has just the now in view. I only see I need Jesus now. I need Jesus to give me my escape Jesus was speaking of an everlasting father. He was speaking of a father who was eternal. Temporary faith is not saving faith. We might refer back to the parable about the seed that fell on the stony ground and that there was a belief for a moment. There was a belief for a time or maybe the one that fell among thorns and there was a belief for a time, but when the trials and troubles of the world came, there was a falling away. And there sometimes the devil takes it Even like today, there's a possibility that the Lord, as he speaks the word, the devil is doing everything he can to prevent saving faith. The devil loves temporary faith. He loves a man or woman to walk out and say, today I have faith in Christ, tomorrow I'm not so sure. The devil loves faith that is only as an escape, an escape from a present circumstance. So saving faith, number one, is to believe the claims of Christ. Number two, saving faith is to believe the Savior as he was lifted up on the cross. Saving faith is to believe the Savior as he was lifted up on the cross. Jesus refers to his coming crucifixion. Look at verse 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man. Now, Jesus declaring that is as good as done, right? He's telling them, when you have lifted me up, when you have lifted me up. How did he know that? Because he's God. He knew that that's why he had come. When he have lifted up the Son of Man as a direct reference to in his death upon the cross, Jesus wasn't just saying, when you've lifted me up and just let me to hang there. He's saying, when you've lifted me up and crucified me and by my death, by my burial, by my resurrection... Look what he says. Then shall ye know that I am he. Blessed be God when God 
shows us who he is. There were many people. I don't have the numbers for you today. There are many people who after the death, the burial, and resurrection in Christ, after that all happened, believed on him. There were people who did not have saving faith in Christ before that. We can't give you the numbers, but there are people even such as Nicodemus, who was one time an unbeliever, who didn't even understand the principle of ye must be born again, who we find anointing the body of Christ for burial. There something had taken place. He had moved from some sort of faith to a saving faith. But there were also some who no doubt watched all this take place, watched the fulfillment of the prophecies, and yet still remained blinded in their heart. They refused to see Christ as being the Savior that was lifted up. What was Jesus speaking? He says, very verse 28, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Jesus again is affirming what he has said before. I do nothing of myself. All that I do is from my Father. My Father and I are one. It is what my Father has taught me. It is what my Father has showed me. That is what I speak. Remember, saving faith, number one, is to believe the claims of Christ. But number two, saving faith is to believe the Savior as he was lifted up on the cross. Some people just view the cross as symbolic. Some people just view the cross as something that is optional. That I can have saving faith without acknowledging the cross. You can do no such thing. There is no saving faith apart from the cross. Temporary faith sees the cross as just symbolism. It just sees the cross as two wooden beams converged together. There are people all over the world who have crosses hanging up in their homes. They have crosses in their churches. They have crosses in their jewelry who have no idea what saving faith is. The cross becomes nothing more than just a symbolic symbol of something. Oh, they know something took place there. Matter of fact, some will even say history has proven that the crucifixion of Christ has now been proven because there's evidence we have found the beings that we believe to be the cross that's not saving faith. You could take a tour of the Holy Land. You could visit and walk the very steps that Jesus walked and you could follow it along. And there's even, I saw recently, there is, a, a, there is an expedition, we'll call it, that you can actually take a cross, an actual cross, carry it on your back, and you can walk the exact road that Jesus walked all the way to where Golgotha's Hill was. And that would not be saving faith. You could peer into the tomb in which they say they laid his body and you could see that that's where he was and you could still walk away in all that something happened here but not have saving faith. Saving faith is to believe all his claims and believe that without the cross, without the cross of Jesus Christ and his death and his burial and his resurrection, there would be no saving faith. Jesus is telling them about that which was to come. Verse 29, he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Christ always perfectly obeyed his Father's will. And everything Christ did had God's full authority and God's full approval. Now, lest we think, what's the, what's the significance of that? 
when Jesus Christ is lifted up upon the cross and brutally scourged and beaten beyond recognition, in the realm of God, God the Father was pleased with the bruising of His own Son. Now every parent is going to say the same thing. How in the world could the bruising of my own son, my own flesh, my own... How can that please me? There is the workings of God. Because in his son, God the Father poured out his entire wrath for sin. To believe and have saving faith is to believe that the Savior was lifted up on that cross for the sin and for the punishment and for the payment in which I deserved. Not just some symbolic act of religion. I think it's an absolute abomination. An abomination to even have a presentation of Jesus Christ still hanging upon a cross. It shouldn't even be present. Yet there are churches all over this world that still have Jesus behind their pulpits or behind whatever their speaking lectern is. Whatever it is, they still have Jesus upon those two beams of wood. And I would tell you that there is no hope in that alone. Yet some have looked at the cross as being just, I look to that symbolic act. It was more than symbolic. It was a saving act. He that sent me is with me. Jesus used these often short phrases and short expressions that gave comfort to the believer. Imagine trying to go forth without the Father. What a joy it must bring to not only He, but also to us to know that everything we do as a believer in Christ, we do not go alone. We go with Christ with us. What a comfort. Each one of us needs to understand what it is to have the presence of the Father with us everywhere that we go. The Father hath not left me alone. You know what struck me today as I was thinking about this? The Father has not left me alone. There was a point in time when for some six hours it's said that Jesus and his Father, the Father turned his face away. He left his only begotten Son and well-beloved Son. For those moments, he didn't leave him fully, but yet Jesus was left there to pay the sin for man. He says, I always do those things that please him. Always obeyed. Always did the Father's will. Saving faith is to believe the Savior is lifted up on the cross. Temporary faith just sees Christ as a symbolic way or a symbolic means to gain acceptance. Wear a cross. Go to a place that contains a cross. Go through religious routine. And that will give me saving faith. That's temporary faith. Thirdly, saving faith is not intellectual belief without a love for Christ. Often people have asked this question, does my mind play any part in my salvation? Now again, not in attaining it. But yes, your mind is a part of it. No one's ever asked you to not use your mind when you think about Christ. Faith is not doing things blindly. A lot of people misdefine faith. They make it sound like faith is a blind leap. 
or that faith is something I have no idea what's going on. I'm just going to step out and jump out and hope that it holds me. Now, that's temporary faith, like the crude illustration I gave you of the bridge over the deep ravine. It takes a lot of faith, and you're taking blind faith. Unless you know, again, I don't want to get off on this tangent, unless you know the engineering that went behind that bridge, you're stepping out, you're taking a huge risk. You might look at that bridge and say it looks secure. It looks relatively new. It doesn't look like there's any problems. You're still taking a blind leap of faith to put your foot on that first plank, right? Salvation is not that way. This is not blind. Temporary faith is blind. Temporary faith says, well, I'm going to give this a try and see if this works. You know, some people come to Christ or think they come to Christ because they've tried everything else. They've tried everything else. They said, listen, I've tried my own ways. I've tried to change my life. I've tried to do all these things. And now I'm going to just, I'm going to put my foot out. I'm going to test the, test the bridge out here and see if it'll hold me. That's not faith. Saving faith knows the architect. Saving faith knows that it is Jesus Christ who is the security of that bridge. It's not about what man can do. It's about what Christ has already done. Notice verse number 30. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Now what we're not told is who these many were. But notice very carefully. As he spoke these words, many believed on him. What has he spoken? The words and the verses we just read. He's not really given them a plan of salvation. He's not given them a to-do list. He's not giving them any idea. This is what I need, I want, I'm asking you to do. He's simply declaring what is. Today, an invitation to salvation is to believe Christ, his claims. To believe that Christ and why he was lifted up upon that cross. But it's not just an intellectual making my mind up today and I'm going to decide to make a decision. No, your faith, your belief rather, will always be accompanied with a love for Christ. Salvation is not just intellectual. It's not just the mind. Jesus in verse 31, he says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Now we're given a little bit more insight. Some of the Jews, when they heard this, they did believe on him. And that's why he tells them, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. He literally says there is going to be something more to this than just temporary faith. There's a continuance. If your faith was just a temporary in the moment decision and it never led you to continue in his word or led you to have a love for Christ, I would say you have a temporary faith. If you have a faith that would allow you to simply take it or leave it, if you have a faith that says, well, Jesus is a part of my life, he's important and all, but he's really not the primary thing, I would say there's a danger that you might have a temporary faith. Temporary is in its very meaning. It doesn't last. It's never meant to be permanent. There are many, I dare say millions of people who have made professions of temporary faith. That temporary faith will not last for eternity. The truth of the gospel, the truth of God's grace, 
The truth which has been revealed to us by the Spirit of truth, literally Christ Himself, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How can Christ and the word of truth be separated? They can't be. Notice what Jesus goes on to say in verse 32. He says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What Jesus gives here is that this saving faith is not just this mere mind or intellectual belief void of a love for Christ. True faith abides and perseveres in following the teachings of Christ. True faith is a disciple indeed. What is a disciple? Jesus specifically says, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples. That tells you that disciples have saving faith. Temporary faith is not discipleship. A disciple is a person who submits to the master teacher. He submits to that person in order to become like that individual in faith and order and practice. A disciple says, I'm going to sit and submit myself to you, Christ. I'm going to submit all to you. And Jesus then says, again, a lot of times these verses are misquoted. We leave out parts. Some will say, just believe on Christ and the truth, you'll know the truth. That's not what the Bible says. It says, you will know the truth if you continue in my word. Then you will know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Not might make you free. It will make you free. Now, we'll deal with these verses next week, but the, the Jews, many respond in verse 33, then answered him, we be Abraham's seed and we're never in bondage any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? I think it's fair to say they did not have any semblance of saving faith because how can I be made free? If they don't understand that, they didn't know the truth. Jesus, as he spoke to them, is telling us and telling them to know Christ is to be free from the penalty of sin. It's to be free from the curse of the law, from the power of darkness, from the habitual practice of sin. Finally, one day, the Bible tells us we will be like Him. We'll be free from the very presence of sin at all. Spurgeon put it this way. He said, saving faith is an immediate relation to Christ. Accepting, receiving, resting upon Him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of God's grace. There is such a thing as temporary faith. Beware of it. There are lots of people who appear to believe for a while. Sadly, I think in our churches, we are so afraid of the truth sometimes that we just declare that people who once believed are just backslidden Maybe they did not have a saving faith to begin with. They had temporary faith. See, we just automatically label everybody who's outside of church now or away from God as being backslidden. And there's no doubt that happens. But I would, I would dare to go out on a limb and say there are more people who had temporary faith than actually are just backslidden. Because temporary faith is the flavor of the generation. Temporary faith is a faith that is the get-out-of-hell-free card. It is, let me escape my present circumstances. 
Now, Jesus, as he spoke, you'll die in your sins, he begins, he was not speaking to someone for the first time. Let me tell you, if you speak to a person who you know to be a non-believer and they've never known anything about God, can I just give you just a little practical piece of information? If you go and shout in their face, they're going to die in their sins, you're probably going to lose them because they have no idea what you're talking about. These Pharisees had heard over and over and over again. This was not a first-time interaction. I told some of the story, one of the first Sundays I was here, I told stories about how I was against the evangelism that we talk about where you stand on someone's doorstep and you beat them over the head with the scripture and you just keep hitting them with it and keep hitting them with it and keep hitting them with it and tell them, listen, you need to decide something today. Do you know if you die today? Do you know if you go to heaven or hell? Do you know the answer for most of those people, if they're honest, is I'm not sure. I don't know. Because they're ignorant of it. They don't know. And you standing there, I, told, I think I told the story about a preacher I heard once said, he said, I'm standing on this porch and I'm not leaving until I get a decision from them. That's the most, that's the most vile thing you can do to a person. Because you're asking them to understand something that they may never have even heard before. Deal with people patiently. Deal with them lovingly. They're not numbers that we can put on a wall and say, listen, we converted 10 today. Listen, God does the converting. God's just called us to be faithful witnesses and faithful preachers of the gospel. Don't appeal to man's intellect to bring him to Christ. It's a part of it, but they've got to have something more than just that. Just like that parable, the seed that was sown upon the rock, it sprung up quickly. It looked authentic, but it withered away. That's the way a lot of faith is. I could tell you stories of people who claimed to get saved and they were, they were on fire and they were the person you could depend on. They wanted to do everything in the church and within six months they were gone. Not to another church. Not to another ministry. Completely away from God. And then I heard people make these comments, well, at least they know Christ. Seriously. They know Christ, but they want nothing to do with Christ. According to what Jesus says, if you're not willing to continue as a disciple, he says, you are not one of mine. See, it, it helps soften the blow when we think somebody is, well, they're, at least they're saved. How many times have you heard that? Yes, they're out of church, been out of church for years and years and years, but at least they're saved. Listen, don't let that be what decides whether or not they're right with God or not. Now, somehow, some way, are there people who are outside, who are not in the church today and are outside of church who are still believers? Absolutely, there's, there's always exceptions. But I would ask the question, if we are truly, if we know the truth and the truth sets us free and that Christ has truly given us this God-given faith, it is not temporary, it's permanent faith. It's not going to wither away when trials come. It's not going to wither away when the cares of the world come. It's not going to wither away it's going to endure. Jesus' own words were, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. God's giving us some kind of a faith that's able to endure even the worst of persecution. I've said this and I'll say it again. The revealing of a lot of temporary faith is going to happen when true persecution to this country comes. 
There are people in our world today who if it was temporary, they would have bailed a long time ago. They have saving faith. They're meeting under the risk and the threat of not just imprisonment, but death. That's not even a percent of a concern for you today. You have a better chance of being struck by lightning while being attacked by a shark in the ocean than you do somebody walking in the door and persecuting you for your faith. And that's probably not even good. That's probably not an accurate description of the odds. That's how safe faith in this country is. But it may not be saving faith. If you can't get people to come just to a regular church, regular church meeting, when there is no threat, with a claim that I love Christ, what does it really say? Jesus' own words were, you're going to be my disciple. You're going to want to follow. You're going to want to walk after me. God gives a faith, thankfully, that's not temporary because it's able to endure the fire of persecution. It will remain steadfast and sure even when it's exposed to the ungodly world. Even when the two kingdoms, which we talked about here, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil, the world, it will remain steadfast. Jesus, back in the gospel according to Matthew, in 10, verse, chapter 10, verse 22, says, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now, in that particular line, he's not the word salvation or saved is not the word eternity. He's literally talking about saved. It is something that will last. Your salvation is sure. Temporary faith does not bring perseverance. Temporary faith brings deception. And it ends in destruction. Jesus wants us to understand this. Saving faith. Now again, we'll deal with their response. Again, we might say logically, Jesus should explain this another way. He should make his message more palatable. Yet he's going to use the same terminology throughout the rest of this chapter, and he's even going to get more direct. He's going to say something. We won't get there next week, most likely, but he's going to say something in John 8, 44. He's going to say this, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father, you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he's a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Jesus was not being uncaring. Jesus was, had already revealed himself. Saving faith, believe the claims of Christ. Number two, saving faith is to believe the Savior as lifted up upon the cross. And number three, saving faith is not intellectual belief without a love for Christ and a desire to follow him. I hope today you can say, my faith isn't temporary. I have saving faith because of what Christ has done for me. Let's stand if you would. And we're going to be dismissed in prayer. We'll have a...